thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. At the first this year, Pastor Jared preached uh, a message entitled Clarity, and the the banner for our year, the word for the year for our church is, has been just that word, clarity. And we've been just going through what that means. And, and he, he showed this, this video. And, and what you just saw was a part of that video where um, they've, they've invented these glasses. And they're really cool. There's people, and I'm not one of them, but there's people that, that are colorblind. They can't see the wide spectrum of color that most people normally see. And, and so I don't know how they did this, but they invented these really cool, they're, they're called chroma, chroma glasses, I think, and, and you can buy them. They're pretty expensive. And once a colorblind person puts them on, they can actually see things that they've never been able to see before. They can experience something they've never been able to experience before. And, and, uh, and what you just saw is somebody experiencing something that's so beautiful that there's no words to be able to to be able to explain what they what they've seen has anybody seen one of those videos before or uh, were some of you here when uh, Titian got his glasses and and saw him see that before um, when when you preached that message pastor Jared uh, you inspired me to preach this message today and, and so, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to, to get your Bibles out and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I just want to welcome everybody to the exchange. It's good to have everyone here. If you haven't yet, get out your, your uh, phones and go ahead and check in on Facebook today and let people know that you're here, and if you hear something good, go ahead and, and go ahead and post that out this morning. Uh, but I'm going to bring some clarity today to what Paul tells us in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is our message as the church and our ministry. Everybody say, our message and our ministry. Come on, one more time. Our message and our ministry. Okay, so I'm bringing some clarity to that. 2 Corinthians, follow with me up on the, the Sky Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says this, For the love of Christ compels us. Pastor Jared, what a beautiful song to pick going into this message this morning. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. If Love is an ocean, we're all sinking. He says this, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this way, that if one died, who's he speaking of right there? Speaking of Christ Jesus, if one died for all, how many he died for? For all, then all died. And then he says it again, 
For he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So how many did Jesus die for? How many did he die for? Oh, I remember years ago, even as a pastor, not even knowing that I had some Calvinistic filters in my, in my heart, I read this, and it shocked me when I read that he died not for a select group of people, not for an elect group of people, but Paul tells us that he died for all, for everybody, right? He died for everybody. And this was, you know, Paul not speaking to us. This letter was not written to us 2,000 years later. It was written to a certain group of people, right? And so what was going on at that time, this was good news for a certain group of people in that region because there were some recent converts that were Jewish people who believed that Jesus did not die for all, that he died for only the Jews, And there were some people who were believing, who were converts, that were Gentiles. And so this was good news for them. Somebody say amen. Because somebody say, I'm a Gentile. Right? (laughs) This is good news. So Paul says he died for all. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh, which is a good place for us to all say amen. Because what he's saying is, when he says we judge no one according to the flesh, is he's saying we judge no one according to what they look like, and according to outwards appearance, according to what somebody's wearing. I can tell you today that I can walk, when I walk into a church, I can tell very quickly when that church is functioning within a mixture of covenants, within still the old covenant is when they are always preaching on hemlines and hairdos, upon outward appearance, upon uh, if you have a tattoo or not. If they're preaching and taking scripture out of the book of Deuteronomy and applying it to you, that wasn't written to you. Come on, somebody. They're taking things out of context, and they're starting to do something that Paul says that we don't do. We don't judge according to the flesh. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. Amen. Now, he does say later on that we do look at the fruit. Okay, we look at your fruit of your life, but we don't look at the outward appearance. Amen. Therefore, we do not uh, regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. So some of them, he says, we actually saw him in the flesh. He says, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone in Christ, if you have your Bibles right now, most of your translations will say if anyone is in Christ, is will be slanted because that was added by translators. It should say if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, God Paul says, who has reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. Now, is that present tense, future tense, or past tense? That's past tense. So that he says to those people in that time, which that's in our past too, right? He says this happened past tense that he has, God has already reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. Come on, say reconciled. He says he has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Everybody say amen. Oh, he loves us. And has given us now 
the ministry, that is now our ministry of reconciliation, verse 19. That is that God, this is the message, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. He says, not counting their sins against them and has committed to us this same word of reconciliation. This is our message. He says, now then, we are the ambassadors for Christ as though he were now pleading through us because guess what? He's left. Christ is not with them anymore. Amen. He says, now he's making his his plead through us. We implore you. This is what he says, on Christ's behalf, this is his message, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Clarity. Clarity. This is a year of clarity for us as the exchange. And when you go and you study church history, what you will find out is in the first 400 years, years of the church, what they did is they put a different focus in their belief system than we do on our belief system now over 2,000 years later in the Western American church. One of their, their pillars and belief systems that they had, a focus that they had, was beauty. Everybody say beauty. Beautiful. Beauty, beauty. They, they thought this, they thought that how we, we live our lives, how we carry our relationships, how we do business, the, the message that we carry, the message that we preach and that we teach, everything that we do, that our neighbors, that people should be able to look at us and, and they should be able to say, you know what, I may not agree with what you believe. But how you live and the message that you carry, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. There's just something about it that I can't deny. It's beautiful. Now, I understand that a lot of us have different backgrounds. A lot of us have, we come from different church backgrounds. I mean, my wife and myself, we come from different church backgrounds. And I can't speak for you, but the way that I was raised, the message that first came to me, it wasn't beautiful. It, it just wasn't. What I, what I heard growing up was this, turn or burn. And that, that's, not, that's not beautiful. What I, what I heard was I was convinced that I was a despicable, dirty, rotten sinner and that God was ticked off at me, that, that because I was totally depraved, because I was filthy and I was a dirty, rotten little scoundrel, that he couldn't have anything to do with me anymore. As a matter of fact, there needed to be a judgment. He wanted to beat the tar out of me, and instead of doing that, he sent his son, and he beat the tar out of Jesus, so he didn't have to beat the tar out of me. And so in some kind of weird way, Jesus, I believe, became God's Prozac, and he turned the father's frown upside down. So now he is in a season of being a good mood about me and being a good mood about you. And if you and I will believe in him, he won't send us to an eternal conscious torment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and we can live with him in his good mood in heaven forever. 
And it really, it wasn't beautiful. It was, it was actually confusing. Because, because it's sometimes I was like, okay, well, God is good. But, but sometimes I felt like he was, he was mad at me. But then sometimes I was taught that he was love. But then I felt like he was in a, in a bad mood. And I was just constantly confused. You see, the original message of the early church, it wasn't confusing at all. It was, it was beautiful. It was simple. It was simply called the good news. It was, we talked about this at the end of last year, it was good news of great joy for all people. When Jesus came into the world, Luke records that the angel came and he told the shepherds, fear not, in Luke 2.10, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for how many people? Oh, the people. See, the original version of the good news, it was beautiful. It was simple. It was good. It was was something that when the world heard it, it provoked them to jealousy. Wow, I've never heard anything like this. This doesn't sound anything like my religion. It doesn't sound like anything that I've ever heard heard before. It was something that everyone everywhere could relate to, and it's something that we should be sharing today. The gospel is something that is so beautiful. It's so good. It's, I'm talking about the real gospel, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this. When I first came in contact with this real gospel, when I first heard it, it caused me to be jealous. It caused me to want to I thought, I first thought, you know, that's, that is beautiful. But I'll tell you, Pastor Jerry, the first thing I thought was, that's just too good to be true. It's just too good. Like, I want that to be true. But it just, it's just too good to be true. Because all these years I was taught that I, I had to do this and I had to do that to get in with his love. And I had to jump through a thousand hoops in order for God to love me and accept me. And then I actually heard the good news. I actually heard the good news that we're about to go through that Paul presents to us in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that when you first hear it, you're like, this is beautiful. But I thought it was too good to be true. You see, it took me years and years on this journey to be able to embrace the real gospel. And I wanted, I wanted to at first, but I had so many religious filters. I, it was hard for me. It was really hard for me to sing that song that we just sang. That song used to bother me, Pastor Jared, so much. First, I, I couldn't believe that he loved me. And there there was a lot of people in this world that I believed that he couldn't love. I mean, just to be truthful with you, there's a lot of hang-ups and a lot of things that I saw with people that I just, I was taught to be prejudiced against. And just the way that they believe and what they do, there's just no way God can love them. And so what Paul 
his, his message here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it seemed beautiful, but it seems too good to be true. Now, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is speaking to the church, and he says that Christ died for all. He didn't just die for a few. This work that Jesus was doing, he says, was for the whole world. For the whole world. Amen? Think about that. He did this for you before you were ever born. Right? Like you weren't there when this happened, before you were ever born. That's why the good news is declaring something that has already taken place. You see, to there is something for us to apply this to our lives. We do need to apply this message to our lives, but it's not so that we need to hear it and believe it, and then when we believe it, it makes it true. We believe it because it's already true. Your believing it doesn't make it true. It makes it a reality in your life because if you don't believe it and activate it, it doesn't now become alive in you, and then you walk around your life living like an orphan. Come on, somebody, when you're actually a son because you don't even understand your true identity, and the gospel is announcing something to people that is so amazing and so beautiful that it now causes you to draw into the truth that is already true. You can look at almost every major religion, and there's always hoops that you have to jump into. You have to do this and this and this to get to nirvana. You have to be reborn and reincarnated a thousand times until you finally get this thing right, and then you finally get to where you finally need to get to go, and then all of a sudden, if this world could really hear the original good news and the message, the beautiful news of Jesus, they would say, wait a minute. That's beautiful. Years ago when I was going through my journey, please understand that I had been a believer for years and years and years. I was raised in the church my entire life. And at this point in my life, I had been a pastor for several years. And my mentor, he, he brought me this book and he said, hey, I just want to give this book to you. I would like you to read it. And it was a book about the good news. It was a book about grace. And a couple weeks later, he called me and he said, hey, uh, hey, son, have you read that book yet? And I said, I've read a couple chapters. And he was like, okay, what would you think? And I said, well, I read the first chapter and I threw it in the trash. And then he's like, okay, well, <laughs> why did you do that? And I said, Bishop, because this is too good to be true. But then I would go pick it up out of the trash, and I would read another chapter. And then I would read so much, and I'm like, this is too good to be true, and I would throw it in the trash again. I would say, it just can't be this easy. He'd say, Kevin, his yoke is easy. Kevin, his burden is light. But for years, I was raised in a culture, in a theology, in a denomination that taught me how to be a human doing and not a human being. So it was really hard for me to embrace what we're going to go through and what we're going to see today in this good news message that Paul says is our message. So let's talk about what is our message in 2 
Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that our message, if you're taking notes, write this down. Our message is, he says, reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. Let's talk about that. What does reconciliation mean? Well, a couple definitions, I'll give them to you. Reconciliation means restored to favor. Everybody say favor. Think about what I just said. Reconciliation means restored to favor. Atonement. If you look at that word, if you write it down, you can actually break it down to at-one-ment. To receive or into or the exchange of coins. That's why at the end of the month, if you still use a checkbook or you actually now go online, you need to reconcile your, your account. Okay, you can use that word for the, the same thing. When you study the Greek, the Greek word is apokatalasso. It's two words put together, apokatalasso, and that involves two parties reconciling or being brought into favor. Everybody say favor. Two parties reconciling or being brought into favor with each other to be fully now reconciled. Now, the word apokalosso, I said, is two words. Okay, the first word is reconciliation. Katalosso is the word I want to talk about right here, which is just conciliation. Okay, it's not, take off the re. It's just conciliation. What does conciliation mean? This is, this is the... This is so important for you to understand. This is the message that Paul was trying to to get out. Conciliation means it expresses the thought that one party has initiated the reconciliation and brought favor from their end. Conciliation is a one-sided piece that is done outside the will or the knowledge of the other party or person. It's when one party decides to forgive the other, drop the case against them, wave the white truce of peace, and then ask for reconciliation from the other one in return. If they respond, then it goes now from a cotalasso, a conciliation, and now it goes into a reconciliation, a katalos, an apokatalosso. So God, this is what Paul said, in Christ, already, listen to me, from him towards us, made up his mind, conciliation. I am at peace with you. I am good with you, whether you respond or not. And that is our message. The message is beautiful. The message is not God is up in heaven like a Zeus with lightning bolts ready to strike you if you mess up, counting your wrongs. He has a white beard. He's in a really bad mood, and he only smiles every once in a while when you praise him. So you better say, oh, yes, he loves us like you mean it, and you better come to church, and you better give in the offering. So he'll be nice at you. That's, that's, that's the message that I heard. That's not Paul's message. The truth is, 
He has a big grin on his face. Come on, somebody. The truth is, yes, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. The truth is, he's a good, good father, and his heart is always towards you. And that's not because you've prayed a prayer. That's not because you've brought a sacrifice. His heart is towards you. His heart is towards the whole world. That is the message. You had nothing to do with it. Christ, God was in Christ, and he reconciled the world before you ever could do anything about it. He says, you have favor with me. If you respond to it or not, you have favor with me. But that's not the message that I was raised with. That's not the message that looked like anything that I heard. In fact, we were taught growing up that we would knock on doors and we were to ask people, if you were to die today, do you know if you were to go to heaven or hell? Because if you got sin in your life, does anybody know what I'm talking about? God's going to spew you out of his mouth. This is what we were taught. I was in a class at my church where we were taught to memorize the Ten Commandments, hold up the Ten Commandments to people, which is a covenant that is not even for me. I was never in that covenant, but this is what I was taught, to hold the covenant up, the the Ten Commandments, as a mirror up to people to convince them that they are depraved and in need of being saved because until they understand that, they that they, they don't know that they need salvation. That's the message that I was taught, and I can't find that here in a catalasso, in a message of conciliation. You need to understand that convincing someone that they are a depraved sinner is not a part of the original message. Western thought hijacked the gospel after the Reformation. And listen, I thank God for the Reformation. I thank God for the Protestant movement. There were some things that shifted that needed to be shifted then. Amen. Amen. But there were also some things that kind of went off in that time and things that are being come back together. You see, in the first 400 years of the church, there was a total different mindset. You see, in the first 400 years of the church, you will find that they put the focus on death. Not on death, but on the resurrection. Not on death, but on the resurrection. They taught that the problem with this world was not a sin problem, but a death problem. The problem is that you would die. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death now entered through sin, so death is the problem, and in this way, now death came to all people because all sin. Adam brought sin into the world. And that was the problem because sin now made everyone die. It brought death. That's why he put the, pro- the in the early church, they put the focus on the resurrection because death was something that now needed to be dealt with. We needed victory over death because how many know back then, death had victory over all of us, over all humanity. That's why Jesus comes along and says in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades translated 
the grave so the gates of the grave will not prevail against the church. What was he saying? He was saying, I've overcome the grave. I've overcome death. You don't have to just die anymore. You don't have to just go and die and hang out in the grave and wait for a Messiah to come. Come on, somebody. He says the Messiah is here. Absence from the body is now to be present with the Lord. Come on and help me preach this morning. And then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, and says, oh, death, come on, where is your sting? He says, oh, Hades, where is your victory? Why? Because it used to have a sting. It used to have victory. And then in 57, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory over death came through his resurrection. That's good news. You see, the gospel is all about God conciliated the world in Christ Jesus. That's our message. That is our message. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He reconciled the world. Past tense. It happened. That God made up his mind towards us, towards the entire world. I'm at peace with you. Come on, somebody. I love you. I forgive you. You have favor with me, whether you respond to me or not. When I got a hold of this, my conversations with people completely changed. I used to have conversations with people and go into my little tackle box of bringing out the Ten Commandments and convincing them that they were in need of a Savior, and that never really worked out very well for me. And now all of a sudden, I would just have conversations where I would say, did you know that God loves you? Did you know that you already have favor with him? And they were like, what you talking about, Willis? I've never heard this before. I've heard the other. I've heard, if you were to die today, type of stuff. I've heard, have I ever, have I ever done this or have I ever done that? Oh, if you've done this, well, you know what, where you're going. And I say, no, 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 no. It's the opposite. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And, and, and they'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about his amazing love, that God reconciled the world, that he brought you into favor 2,000 years ago because of what God did in Christ. The world has favor. He, he conciliated this thing. It's, it's done. I'm talking about finished work. And this makes religious people angry. Because religious people, I used to be a religious people. This used to make me so angry. I used to be the second brother in the story of the prodigal son. When the brother comes back from doing all this crazy stuff, and he's still in the family, and I'm like, this is not fair. There has to be an us and a them. I'm good. He's bad. I've been doing all this good stuff. He's been doing a bunch of crap. It cannot be this way. You cannot love all of us. You love me because I used to be like him, but then I changed, remember? And all of these years I've been working for you. And I realized I had never been a son. Had only been a slave. And this other son had only been an orphan. And God, God wanted us to be was a son. In our, in our religious spirit, we want, we always want an us and a them. 
I have favor and you don't. Jesus loves me because I'm good. He hates you because you're bad. Isn't it interesting that God never tells us to love his enemies? He tells us to love our enemies. It's because God doesn't have enemies. How do we know that? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. John chapter 5, verse 13. I'll put it up on the Sky Bible for you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And how many know that Christ Jesus laid down his life, come on, for everybody? So we're all his friends. Come on, church. Can you get a hold of that? Can you wrap your mind around that? Paul told us earlier that he died for all. He laid down his life for his friends. All he has is friends. Now, we are enemies of God, according to 1 Colossians 1.21. Put that scripture up in our minds. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, Because of what you believed, you believed that it wasn't true. You really weren't his enemy, but you believed that you were, so you acted like it. Good preaching, Pastor. You see, it's always been man towards God was the problem. Always man towards God. It was never God towards man. You need to go back and watch the sermon that I preached earlier last year called A Beautiful Gospel where I took two chairs and I illustrated between these two chairs how God was never turning from man. It was always man turning from God. Even in the garden when, when, when Adam sins, God comes running towards Adam's sin. Who is the one that turns from God and covers himself up? It's man. Even when Cain kills his, his bro- I mean, Abel kills Cain. What happens? I mean, Cain kills Abel. What happens? God comes in, and he doesn't wipe out Cain. He doesn't bring judgment on him. He comes in. He puts his finger on him. He touches his forehead. He gives him a mark on him to protect him by his grace in the midst of his sin. Rather than wipe him out, listen, God's heart is never turned from man. It has always been us turning from God. That's why our message, Paul says, he is good with us. We have favor with him. He loves us. Now be reconciled to him. It's a beautiful message. Pastor Jared, you showed us this video, and we all saw earlier these people that that are colorblind and, and they've just they've never been able to see these different colors in the world. And we watch this video and we see this emotional reaction. And these people they burst into tears with no words to describe how how beautiful these things that they see. And and as I watched that video, Pastor Jared, of course I was crying, because I'm a crybaby. I always cry. But I started to flash back to that year before. When you had a vision of a group of people that we would get together and our church would go down to the Houston Pride Festival. And we would just love people from the LGBT community. And we really didn't know what we were doing. We're just like, we're just going down to love people. And so we did, and, and we get together, and I remember, Pastor, we get down there, and we have, what, 17, 18 people. And the first thing that we see across the street behind a barricade are people representing God. And they have bullhorns, megaphones, and they have signs, and they're saying, 
God hates queers. You're going to hell. God hates you. Turn or burn. Turn or burn. Remember that? And there's all, there's just thousands and thousands of people walking past. And so we have this, this banner. We've made these shirts. Shirts say mom hugs, dad hugs, granny hugs, brother hugs, sister hugs. You had on one that said pastor hugs. I had one that said pastor hugs. This banner, it says we're here to apologize for the ways that we as Christians have harmed the LGBT community. It says things like I'm sorry for hiding behind religion when I was really scared. I'm sorry that I've looked down on you instead of honoring your humanity. And Pastor Jared, I remember people would look at our, our, our banner. This is why I flashed back from that video, because the exact same thing would happen. They would see our message, and then they would look at us, and they would go, As if they were seeing God for the first time. With no words to describe this love. And you would go, do you need a pastor a hug? And this, this, this dude would run to you and hug you. And y'all would just hug. And you would cry. And he would cry. And he would say, I've been rejected by my pastor been rejected by my parents. And, and it was just beautiful. It was, it, it was, it was, it was something that in that moment we're hugging people and People have been rejected by their parents. People have been rejected by their pastors. Because in the church, we love to put focus on people's sin. But that's not the original message. Because Paul goes on to say in this message that we have in verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he says that what he was doing was not counting their sin against them. In other words, God is not sin-focused. In other words, your sin doesn't keep you away from God. You see, God runs towards sin. Not from sin. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace, which is a person, abounds much more. He runs to your mess, not away from your mess. Somebody needs to hear this today. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Hello. He hung out with unquestionable people. He didn't hang out with Christians because there were no Christians in his day. God's heart is for the world, the entire world, not just part of the world that you like and that you prefer. For God so loved the world, the entire world, all of the world. But the way that I was raised, that was not our message. 
Our favorite scripture was, come out and be ye separate. That was our favorite scripture. We were constantly coming out, never coming in. We were constantly coming out of something. And that was being taught out of context because when you really go and study that, you found out what they needed to come out of was Babylon. They needed to come out of religion. What they needed to come out of was a confused mindset. They needed to come out of all that mess, not come out of the world. For God so loved the world. It's almost like the church has been taught to hate the world, but God loves the world. John says that we are to hate the things in this world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, not to hate the world. We hate the things that are destroying the world, but not the world. Our message is that the heart of God is towards people, that God says, I have declared a cataloso. I've already released favor to you. This is our message, whether you respond to it or not. Now, now back when I was Uber driving, I picked up this guy. And it was, it was later in the evening. And uh, he was coming home from a business trip. It was right here at George Bush. And uh, he was, I was taking him to Katie. So we had a while in the car. And we start talking, and I find out. Uh, that he's an atheist. And uh, we had a, just a very, I had a, all kinds of good conversations when I was an Uber driver. And uh, along the way, we just, I would never tell people that I was a pastor. Uh, that would just always make the, the, the whole thing weird. Uh, I would just just talk, you know, and talk about my family. And, and then I would just start telling my story. And, and I would tell my story and about how I found out 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God reconciled the world, that his message to us is favor. The message to you is favor, that I love you. And <laughs> he's not holding our sins against us. And uh, this guy said, wait, just wait, wait, wait just a minute. He goes, He says, what, what I haven't told you is I was raised in church. I went to Sunday school my whole life. He said, uh, I, for a lot of my adulthood, I was a believer. He said, but I have never had anybody tell me, I, especially all the pastors I've had, I never had any of them tell me that I have favor with God. I already had favor. I always was told that I, I needed to pray a prayer or I needed to jump through some hoop or I needed to get baptized, or I needed to do all these things in order to gain favor. And uh, he goes, <laughs> he goes, this can't be true, man. And I said, no, it's, I, I, listen, I mean, I could show you right now. We could look, we can break down the Bible, man. This is, this is in the word of God. This is Paul's teaching. And he says, man, that is too good to be true. And this is what he said to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. Maybe things would have turned out differently. And I said, it still can. And he didn't respond to that. <laughs> but what happened, guys, is this, this broke my heart that he had a belief system that he believed his entire life that God was against him. And I, and I know that when I, when I say and I bring a message of Paul's message that God is not counting your sins against you, that makes a lot of you here pretty nervous. 
when I say that Paul says, God is not counting your sin against you, I'm not saying that, I'm not making the point that Paul is making light of sin. He's not saying, hey guys, let's go sit it up. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's get freaky. <laughs> if you think that that's what Paul was saying, you've missed the entire message of the gospel. And you really have never read what Paul was all about. Please hear me today. Sin still leads to death. Sin still leads to destruction. But listen, sin is more about what goes on with you and your neighbor than what it is about what is between you and God. Remember, now behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That already happened. Jesus was the perfect once and for all sacrifice who literally took away the sin of the world, past, present, and future. Amen. We believe in the finished work. Amen? Amen. So from God towards us, there's not a sin issue. It is all finished. But towards us to each other, that's a different thing altogether. Because sin brings destruction. Amen? When I miss the mark in my relationship, it brings destruction and death into that relationship. That's why James says, confess your faults to God. That's not what he said. He says, confess your faults to one another. Because when you break those relationships, when you bring sin into different areas of your life, God doesn't remember things, but people do. And it does destroy those. And we need to make those right. And remember, with God and in this kingdom, there's always restoration. God is a God of restoration. Amen? But at the same time, I want to make the point that we can't carry that stuff to where, because when I, when I was a kid, I was raised up under where I did need to confess my sins to God. And every night I got down on my knees and I would pray, oh God, forgive me of all the things that I did or did not do. The things that I said or did not say. The things of, com- the things of omission and the sins of commission. I want to have all my bases covered. And God was like, that's fine that you're saying this, but I have no idea what you're talking about because I've taken your sins and I've removed them from you as far as the east is from the west since before you ever had anything to do with them. God has amnesia about your sin. He's not holding those things against you. Do you understand that? Now listen, if you have, if that's one of the things that you still do today and you feel like you still need to do that, I'm not saying that you need to quit. I'm going to make this point. You need to understand that that does nothing praying that way. It does nothing from God to you because that's already taken care of. Amen? But it may help you from him, from you to him, saying, God, I'm sorry for those things. I take take responsibility for what I did, and with your power, I'm going to move forward into the next step. That's okay to do that, right? But the message... The message is God was in Christ, reconciling, bringing the whole world into favor. Can you imagine if the body of Christ started sharing that message with their neighbors, with their family, and with their friends? Rather than screaming with megaphones, rather than screaming at their neighbors, holding up the Ten Commandments, 
right? What would actually happen if we started telling people, you have favor with God because of what God did through his love? Do you know that God is for you and not against you? Did you know that there's nothing that you can do to separate you from his love? Did you know that there's no shadow that he won't light up? There's no mountain that he won't climb up. There's no wall, come on, that he won't kick down. There's no lie that he won't turn down. Coming after you with his love, And so what is the ministry, the ministry that he's given us is a ministry of apocatalasso, is a ministry of bringing favor to humanity. He says, so since we have responded to this, we have a responsibility to be ambassadors to say to the world, you have a response to this. There's a response. Let's, let's jump to that, and this is, this is what I'm going to start winding down with. We have a ministry of bringing favor to humanity. Our ministry is not one that's supposed to irritate the world. It's, it's one that's supposed to, to cause them to jealousy. We're supposed to be the ones that are bringing so much amazing good news that they can't help to want to be a part of. And it's kind of crazy when you talk about ministry. Jesus talked about ministry. He never explained it. Paul talked a lot about ministry, and he never explained it. He would talk about uh, five-fold ministry gifts, uh, equipped for the work of the ministry, but he never explained it until here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, when he says our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. So, in theology, there's what's called an objective truth and a subjective truth. Everybody say objective. Now say subjective. So, an example of an objective truth that our church believes in is the finished work of Christ. Okay? We believe that it's done. It's complete. Amen? The truth is that everybody that God's going to heal Deliver, reconcile, redeem already happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, we, I, can, I can show you a proof of it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Put it up on the screen for you. This is proof. When you were dead in your sins, so there's a time stamp on it. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Guys, this stuff happened Before we were born. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says the same thing. Even when we were dead in trespasses. When we were dead. He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. This is an objective truth. He makes it extremely clear. In fact, it's the same thing in Romans chapter 5 verse 18. So then, as through one transgression resulted in condemnation To all men. What was the one transgression? It was Adam in the garden. And it resulted in condemnation to all men. Everybody say all men. Even though, so he says, just like that happened, so through one act of righteousness, what was the one act of righteousness? It was Jesus through the death, burial, and resurrection. There resulted in justification of life to All men, verse 19, for as through one man's disobedience, back to Adam, all were made sinners. Even so through the obedience of the one, all are made righteous. So we had nothing to do with that. 
That had everything to do with what he did. I had nothing to do with getting into this stuff. Adam messed it up, right? And then who made it all right? The perfect sacrifice, right? Amen. 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but he says, but also for the whole world. So Jesus has died for the sins of the whole world. We have been reconciled. We have been made righteous. We have been justified. Objectively, that's true. It, it, it has already happened. It is true. As a matter of fact, there is more than 100 verses in the Bible that talk about the reconciliation of all humanity. But that's the objective side. There's also the subjective side. You see, objectively, everybody, we believe, was healed 2,000 years ago. But subjectively, I got up this morning and my back hurts. Subjectively, my son has cystic fibrosis. Yes, by his stripes you were healed. This happened at the cross. We believe that. Everything Jesus needed to do has already been done. It's the finished work. He's not doing anything else. He's already done everything that he needs to do. Amen? It is finished. Amen? We believe in the finished work. We believe he took care of it. But subjectively, it has to be manifested by grace. That's what Jesus did through faith. So if I don't believe it, then I never enjoy the benefits of it. Believing it is extremely important. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he tells us, God reconciled the world. He brought the entire world into favor. Then he goes on to say, but now that we have received that as ambassadors, we beg people, be reconciled. In other words, he's saying, believe it. God is good with you, but you need to be good with God. You need to change your mindset towards him. I like to put it like this. The whole world has been reconciled, but the whole world is not saved. Because salvation, that word is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It means wholeness, completeness, deliverance, healing, and health. You see, there's some people that are called universalists who say everybody's already saved. But when I look around this planet, I see a lot of humanity that still needs wholeness, completeness, deliverance, healing, and health. Amen? Even here today in this room... We're not totally whole and complete and fully delivered and healed. Why? It's because we need to work out our salvation. We're saved, but we're still being saved. It was finished 2,000 years ago, but my believing it is still extremely important because if I don't believe it, it will never become a reality in my life. That's why objectively it is finished. It is done, but subjectively it needs to be a manifestation in my life. I must believe it. That's why without faith, it is impossible to please God. Can I get an amen? Guys, it's not either or. It's both and. It brings the idea of grace and faith, and it marries the two together. It's the reason in Hebrews that they tell us why they didn't enter into the promised land. And when God did the work in the wilderness, they never entered into the promised land because they never mixed the promise with the faith. There's incredible benefits in believing. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
be reconciled. Believe what we are saying. Apply this to your life by faith. And what we have in the church is people fighting each other saying, it's already done. I don't need to do anything. And then people over here are saying, but what about the part in the Bible where it says, they that believe, they that believe, they that believe. And the answer is not either or, it's both and. Because I can tell you that for years I was on one side over here and then I would read first, or, or Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 that says, I was forgiven while I was still dead. Before I ever had a chance to say a prayer, that messed with me. I started to have questions. I don't know if, if you just skip over these verses, but I read it and I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me that I was already finished before I ever even knew anything about Jesus? Yes. But when I learned about Jesus and I believed it, it became a reality to me. And it started to manifest in my life. That's why the whole world has been reconciled. That's our message. It's our message to the world. Not God is angry. Not God is, is, is ticked off and he doesn't like you. No, the message is he has already brought the entire world into favor. I wonder what would happen if the church would start preaching that. We might start having some people that would want to be around us. They would be shocked. They'd be like the guy in the, in the car that was driving to Katy, Texas. I mean, God is, is actually for me. He's not holding my sin against me. Yes, because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting your sin against you. Whenever I get around Christians, all they want to do is focus on everybody's issues. And when I hear that, it lets me know that they're still focusing in a mixture of covenants. They're still functioning on a wrong covenant, and they're putting their focus on the sin in people rather than the sun in people. And my job is not to speak to the sin in your life. My job is to speak to the sun in your life. The gospel, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is a message of affirmation, not a message of condemnation. And that's why our message and our ministry is a message of life. It's a message of affirmation, not a message of condemnation and, and, and death. A couple years back, before I moved to Houston, I remember there was a lady that invited her, her sister to our church. And uh, I asked the musicians to come up here, and I'll close. She said, hey, you need to come to our church, man. God's, God's really been doing a work in my life, and uh, I really just love our church. And I had really been going through this whole uh, journey of grace. And she said, uh, I don't think I can go to that church. She said, why not? And she said, I heard all that preacher talks about is love. <laughs> and then she said, uh, I don't think I, she goes, truth is, I really don't feel like I've been to church unless I've been beat up a little bit with that old B-I-B-L-E. You know what I'm saying? Run to that altar. And that broke my heart. Because there's some, there's something messed up going on there. That's, that's like if you, you were to say, I, you know, I just don't feel like my husband really loves me until he rests me up a little bit. It's 
kind of the message that I was brought up believing. I used to kind of think that much. We just haven't ever, I, I used to say that too. I just don't really feel like I've been to church. I don't feel like we've really had church until I really have felt some good conviction. Spirit does bring conviction, but he brings conviction of righteousness. He comes to you and he says, you're better than you think you are. You have faith in God. He loves you. This news is better than you thought it was. It's better than I thought it was. For years, I resisted it. For years, it was really hard for me. I'm 41 years old. But when I was 35, I'd been preaching for years, and I had to admit to my church, to myself, to my wife, that I didn't even really understand the gospel. It was a hard thing to admit, and my road to grace has been a long one because I was indoctrinated with so much so many other things and, and, and those old ways of thinking they, it just keeps coming out of you but here's, here's the thing once you've seen the good news you can't unsee it the good news is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting men's sin against them but that now that you have received that you are now an ambassador to take that beautiful message, that is now your message to take to the world, that God loves you. Yes, he loves you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. That's why Paul said that he's given this message of reconciliation to us, to let the world know, be reconciled. Believe, believe in this, believe that God loves you. very critical for me to believe because I was raised up under a system that, that did tell me that God was mad at me because I was depraved and I had so much sin and I constantly went to church and I realized that I did have sin and so I would come down to the altar and I would pray and I would beg him to please love me again and please forgive me for these things and I would bring my sacrifice as if what Jesus did 2,000 years ago through his death, burial, and resurrection was not enough so I would bring my sacrifice and beg and, and then the pastor would tell me that that was enough but the next week he would tell me that that was not enough and that you need to do that again Kevin because he's upset with you again because he is keeping record of your sin he's holding those against you you did it and I know that you did it and so please come to the altar again so I had this idea that God was upset with me and that was the hardest thing He's playing this song right now. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And before I loved that song, I hated that song because I didn't believe that he loved me. So I had this revelation. And it came because I'm a parent. You see, when we read the Bible, we read that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That was part of what he did through the cross. 
part of the works of the devil I've already explained was sin that led to death. He dealt with death. Amen. Well, in the beginning, Adam, there was something that the enemy did with Adam. And what was that? He got him to believe something that was untrue about himself. That led to sin. He also got him to believe something that was untrue about his father. That was what also led to sin. Now, as a father, as a parent, let me ask you this question. If you found out that someone had gotten your child to believe something that was untrue about themselves and something that was untrue about you, would you be mad at your kid or would you be mad at them? Guys, it was never God towards us. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Never was he reconciling himself to the world. It was never God to us. It was never God to us. He was trying to get us to see that was never a problem. The message is I love you. You have favor with me. Believe that. I've never been angry with you. Come on, somebody. And it's so important this morning that by faith you apply that to your life. So I implore you this morning
actually, it's a biblical word, repent. It just means you change your mind. And you're restored. You go through restoration, and it's beautiful. It's pretty awesome, this kingdom that we live in. So let me just ask all of you to close your eyes for just a second. And I just want to speak over quick words this morning. You know, maybe you've been coming to exchange for a while and you've been hearing the good news and you just needed to know this morning that you have favor with God. Whether you feel like it or not, I, listen, as a mouthpiece for God this morning, you may feel like you are going through hell. But I came to tell you, you have favor with God. Declare this. Out. 